the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. I've been uh, looking forward to this moment for, uh, well, for a week at least. Uh, as we do every uh, Tuesday in our third hour, we uh, make welcome Hugh uh, Hallman and Lewis Hallman. Hugh Hallman is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an educator. He is a businessman. He is an attorney. Lou Hallman, Lewis Hallman, his son, is the managing director of Insight Analytics and a lot of other things as well. Uh, all um, also uh, also uh, grateful uh, for their coming in uh, every Tuesday. Uh, Hugh has something else, as as close listeners to the show know, because I got emails about this saying, "Next, the Hallmans are in." I hope we can get an expert analysis versions of an email that said an expert analysis on what's going on in Kazakhstan. We probably have probably have the nation's most expert person on Kazakhstan sitting in this studio right now. So we will get that update in a few moments. But as Hugh... Yeah, there you go. That's he actually Russian, in. not I mean, Kazakh. you're just not going to get this anywhere else. He walked in with the entire picture and bios of the cabinet of Kazakhstan. <laughs> Excuse me. But as Hugh uh, also uh, likes to point out, we always should start with COVID because that is our stock in trade. I'll just say this going... Uh, into this. Uh, You weren't here last week because you were on travel. I and your son and really all of the American people thought you were in Kazakhstan. And we were very alarmed. Yeah, we were alarmed. A mutual friend wrote me and saying, is Hugh okay?" And I said, you know, I should ask. And I sent a text and you said, you're doing fine. And my friends and I reported the friend said, well, tell him to get the H out of there. And I said, Steve says, get the H out of there. And you said, I'm in Oregon. And I wrote to Steve saying, he's in Oregon. And Steve said, faster. (laughs) Worse. (laughs) It it, it is worse. Worse. Yeah. Trends going on. You went from uh, Khrushchev to Stalin there. Kazakhstan (laughs) is significantly more freedom loving than Portland, Oregon. All right. We'll we'll get into all of that in a few moments. What do we need to know about COVID? I'll tell you all you need to know about COVID. You don't really. You don't really need to listen to the latest from Rochelle Walensky and the CDC. You don't really. Um, If it's easier, go back a year and a half and listen to what we were saying, because she's saying now everything we were saying a year and a half ago. (laughs) Honest to God. Being present is very difficult. You get shot at a lot when you're when you're so far ahead of the curve. I guess I had a friend Romanian saying evidently. Uh, no, Hungarian. Sorry, Hungarian saying evidently the price for being right is appearing to be wrong at the time. And I've never felt that more so than in this COVID discussion. But, well, gentlemen, you take it away. Yeah, but only one of us was banned from other radio stations in uh, in this valley. Uh, only one of us was banned from other radio stations in this valley. Over his COVID opinions. Oh, okay. That would be moi. Yeah, you were banned there, but I was banned on YouTube. Fair enough. You, Yeah, that's <laughs> and right. And I got that's condemned right. by the left as well as the editor-in-chief of National Review, which I I'm not important enough to condemn. <laughs> You True. Just, yeah. just talk to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk COVID. to me. What do we need to know? So uh, with the COVID pandemic, uh, let's start with the AZDHS numbers. Um, you'll notice if you log on to their website that they've recently, about two or three months ago, changed the, the way that the data is visualized. And so now 
you see an automatic filter that only displays the prior six months' worth of data rather than the time series. From it's the maddening, beginning. by the way. Because you can I, still see the whole time series yeah. provided you click all data. But what, what's fascinating about that is that it explicitly cuts out the last two major spikes in the pandemic, sets the starting point of the data at the doldrums during the lowest right. point of the pandemic this summer, and then uses as a visual basis for comparison that. And which, it's the default, by the way. Right. It which starts then, you at the six months, not the all, all time. Right. right which which right. then provides you with it with the image that any change that is happening is now wildly disproportionate and out of control. By the way, how user unfriendly it is, is I'm pretty good at this stuff. I'm probably not as good as, as some, but I'm pretty good at it. And I was staring at these numbers for a long time until I realized, oh, I'm looking at six-month yep. data. It took me a while to yep. figure that. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so – but what we've been seeing really is that if you compare where we add in this new Omicron spike, I suppose, maybe slowly progressing lump is how I would term it rather than spike, um, you'll, you'll see that our hospitalization rates are between half and two-thirds of those of the other large spikes. Our case rates, our daily caseloads, however, are higher. Compared, comparing, say, 18,200 or so on the 5th of January this year to the high of 12,500 almost exactly a year ago. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing more case numbers. We're seeing fewer deaths. We're seeing fewer hospitalizations. And so I'm struck by the fact that this is, resembles precisely the outcome that we all said we wanted with two weeks to slow the spread back at the beginning of this. And yet somehow, despite all of the progress we've made, despite the fact that the pandemic is now consuming a much smaller load of our hospital resources and killing people more slowly, we're not getting any any different. We're not being told that by the corporate press or those that would claim to be scientists Mm -hmm. because all they seem to be interested in is is the malicious expansion of their own power. Mm And so, you know, so where, where do we go from here? You know, today, Arizona is reporting 213 daily deaths. This is a point I've made repeatedly on this show. You will note that nowhere in the time series of the pandemic have there ever been 213 deaths. Those 213 deaths are instead incrementally spread all over the data, typically going back about as far as two months. Let me tell you how important this data point is. I heard Geraldo Rivera on national news on a network we conservatives think is our network say X number of people died from COVID today. And it wasn't the 213 number because he was doing something more national. But he he was making the same exact categorical error you're pointing out. Right. It misleads people. And if I may add one piece to this, the longer the pandemic goes on, the more old deaths right. that are right. discovered get reported. Right. So exactly some, of the, right. some of the months during the summer when we had fewer deaths, we find some more. And we may find a 300-day. Correct. Yeah. And, and the point being that it's not only misleading because it drives panic, fear and panic, but it's also more increasingly misleading because the longer the pandemic goes on, the more likely it is that the deaths reported today will be deaths of an older period of time. And so you're going to get more and more lumpiness like this where you'll have high spikes that have nothing to do with the mortality right. today. Right. 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 Uh, that is Someone just... got a memo is what happened. Exactly. And, and you know, the holiday office closures right. Right. ceased and we're now getting all of the back data in. Right. So I'd like to turn, if I may, to an article that came out by, on behalf of the L.A. Times. And the current title of that article is Column. Mocking anti-vaxxers' COVID deaths is ghoulish, yes, but may be necessary. 
But that wasn't the original title, was it, it, Lewis? Not the original title. The original title was, and I quote, why shouldn't we dance on the graves of anti-vaxxers? Which, by the way, Period would have unquote. been the printed title, the title in the hard copy. The original title is what makes the paper. The corrected one never makes the hard print. Right. Okay. And so what follows then is effectively a drunken, incoherent tirade on behalf of this L.A. Times columnist who is asserting wildly that Republicans are unvaccinated, therefore Republicans are evil, Therefore, we should restrict health access to Republicans. And it's like, OK, we, we, we can hear this argument, you, you complete wackaloon. For Democrats only. We, yeah. we, can, we can have this argument. But if you want to talk about causal usage of health care resources, then why don't we have a conversation about obesity? Right. 350,000 people a year die of obesity per 2019 statistics. And we are still counting every COVID death as an excess death that is only COVID-related, despite the fact that the CDC says that 75% of deaths have comorbidities with them, multiple comorbidities. Obesity almost always one of them. None of these are being counted as deaths from diabetes or obesity or old age or any of the other things that they might actually logically be counted as. We are, by fiat, by the party of science, we are told, told to count them as purely COVID deaths and not as deaths from obesity. And yet the fact that you can go to the gym... The fact that you can go to the gym and and reduce your your weight and BMI doesn't matter to these people. You can't really decrease the probability that you'll be exposed to COVID, but you can take proactive measures to to reduce your obesity. That is a thing that can happen. Now, of course, they would argue that getting vaccinated would reduce some risks. And the right answer I think you're making is, Lou, there are other diseases, other conditions in our society currently that we are now forbidden to make fun of. Right. That are more dangerous to any person's human health than that. Smoking, overeating, and drinking. And yet, if the left were willing to adopt a culture of personal responsibility, then we could logically and congruently deal with these things. However, that's not on the table. But Only I'd like personal to... responsibility for Republicans who are anti-vaxxers. Right. That is precisely it. But what I'd really like to do, and I worry that, that we won't have very much time now that we're going to go into the break soon, is I'd like to go into a piece of reporting in this article. Yeah. They use a statistical method called regression analysis. Yeah. This from the party of science, and it is so badly executed. It is, it, it is invalidly used in here. And I, I would just like to talk about how sure. disturbingly bad this is. So fun with numbers, ladies and gentlemen. Fun with numbers yeah. coming up. No, this is good. Everyone, everyone reads the word regression analysis or the phrase regression analysis. They don't know what it means, but they read it and it sounds serious. And thus, that sounds like the person using it sounds, knows what they're talking about. We'll show them how what they're talking is rot. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. The Hallmans, Hugh and Lewis, are our guests as they, uh, as they are every Tuesday in the third hour. Lewis, you were talking about this L.A. Times op-ed. Uh, uh, it was, piece. yeah, Go that ahead. we should dance on the graves of anti-vaxxers. Right. It's actually not an op-ed. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a column that they put out in the business section. Oh, even worse, actually. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they, they, they cite a guy in here named Charles Gabba, who is, was a software engineer circa 2013 and then got, became a paid Democratic political, political operative working principally on the Affordable Care Act, who was associated with a number of think tanks. And in this article about dancing on the graves of anti-vaxxers, this statistical ace, Charles Gabba, has uh, helpfully provided a regression analysis, which is a model 
that shows basically how uh, Trump support, proportion of the population that voted for Trump, uh, plays into vaccination rates. Mm -hmm. And they present this as an argument that Republicans have politicized the virus, Republicans are making consciously bad choices about their health, and therefore we should not give Republicans health care, which is a fascinating take from someone who wants to expand health care coverage as their profession. But let's just ignore that. So I'd like to talk about what a regression analysis is. Okay. It's the basic machine learning method. It is the most basic type. And all you're doing really is you are creating a model that relates how one or more variables interact to produce a, a, a dependent effect. So for instance, I could make a regression that would explain test score variation among students by using things like classroom size, household income in the area, and any number of things, right? Now, the problem with doing this and that most people don't understand is that almost anyone who takes a, a quantitative degree, a STEM subject in university, has to take one regression class. Mm -hmm. And generally, if you're taking a master's course or a PhD, you have to take a regression class because it underpins all statistical research you methods. Know, I, I cannot them. outline this strongly enough. Now, the problem is, is that regressions are really complicated. They have a lot of assumptions underneath them, and you have to make sure that you follow all of those assumptions. The key one here is that if you don't include all of the possible variables that could affect the thing you're trying to study, then the output of your regression is invalid right. and unusable. That's the big one. And so... These people, while claiming to speak unanimously on behalf of science, have, their, have in their article a one-variable regression that says that the only principal weight on vaccination rates is whether or not a county voted for Trump. Now, I can think of a lot of other variables that might go in there. Population density, which is actually included in the data, just not in the regression that they have for some reason. Right. And so they spend all of this time creating an obscure, hard-to-read statistical model without explaining any of the methodology or underlying assumptions that they interact with and present this flatly as science. And the problem is, is that most people who take regression courses have only ever taken one, only encountered the subject for about three months of their lives and promptly forgotten it. I'm one of them. Right, as are most people. I, however, had to take no fewer than five 400-level <laughs> regression courses, and I took them in all different departments. So I got to see how the academy teaches research methods to economists, biologists, math students, and all of the rest of them. And the performance of the median student in those classes is abysmal. And these are the kinds of people, then, who go out use these statistical models in their packages and uncritically just generate mo crap models. To do what? In this case, they are just merely – this guy is just trying to prove that it is Republicans that are undermining the safety, security, and health of our society. Right. That is his whole point here. And to do this while cloaking himself in the garb of science, he has – he has created just a monstrously bad model. It's, it, it, it's hard for me to sufficiently explain how backwards and stupid the analysis is, particularly on behalf of someone claiming to be a statistical expert. But your main point is, here's the L.A. Times pretending to advance, quote, science, unquote, and a mathematical model to demonstrate that Republicans are bad people. 
period. This is uh, from the pen of Michael Hiltzik, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't he the author of the L.A. Times column you're referencing? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I believe so. Yes, that's right. Michael Hiltzik has been suspended in the past from the L.A. Times for mocking conservatives on social media using fake names and pseudonyms. Hmm. Basically uh, doing the kinds of uh, – well, I, I, I won't put him in other categories. But if you think you're getting honesty from this guy, I mean this, he has no business having a column in the LA Times. Right. Well, these are the Guess same – who his oh, chief target was, may, by the way. Maybe, you, maybe you, yes, of course, Larry Elder. But maybe, maybe of course, that he's exactly suited for the LA yeah, Times. Yeah, maybe he's exactly suited. Well, these are the same people that, that, that get on their pedestal and crow about disinformation on behalf of news outlets. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, do you people – it's like, hello, pot. My name is Kettle. This yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely right. Uh, one one thing I wanted to run by you uh, guys uh, before we move over to the Kazakhstan um, is Omicron and Delta. Can one of you just tell me, did I miss the memo that Delta's all gone and we never have to fear from it again? Did I miss some memo on this? So what's wild about the variant reporting over this that I, I still am really struggling to understand is how on earth anyone re- is reasonably making the claim that, that to some degree that, that the viruses are very distinct from a lethality perspective. Because if you look at, at 2020 data in the U.S., we had about 350 deaths reported from covid works out to about 38,800 per month that the the pandemic was in play in 2020. You said if you 338, look at, but you meant 1,000. Excuse me, yes. Right. Um, then if you look at the 2021 data, we get about 475,000, I believe, 450,000, somewhere in that order. Um, and if you do the math, it actually works out to 39,000 deaths per month evenly. Uh-huh. And so if... Nothing is materially changing except the, how the spikes are shaped and ordered. Then what has our media class been doing this whole time? And how are they pretending that we've made any kind of substantive difference? It seems to, to purely be an exercise in advancing one's own power and picking winners and losers. And keeping in mind that in this environment now, here we are six months, uh, uh, a six-month cycle that looks very similar to the prior six-month cycle, but we now have a higher spike in cases and fewer deaths. It, it does appear the Omicron vi- variant it is, is less, lethal. less lethal, which is good news. In fact, uh, I think Lewis would make the argument about... Well, we should just let everybody catch the Omicron variant very, very quickly then if it is so so permissive and, and, and fast spreading because, well, the longer we let it run and the, the, the more we try, insist on vaccinating it and, and, and slowing the spread, the, the more generations we give the virus to iterate and mutate and the more play it gets on all of our defense mechanisms. You will only hear that here, folks, that the right answer may be if we all got this quickly – We'd all develop some natural immunity, and because the speed of spread would be such that it would reduce the likelihood of further variants that are more deadly. Yeah, and contrary to what you'll hear elsewhere. But yeah, no, you correct. Will not, you will not hear a word of natural immunity from the president, from the head of the CDC, or the head of infectious diseases. You just won't hear. And it. Keeping in mind, the president in, in the last six months had uh, vaccinations at his uh, beck and call, yeah. and he still can't get control of this. I do believe he called on the prior president to be thrown out of office. On the grounds of his failure at two hundred and twenty thousand deaths, yeah, well, at two hundred and twenty thousand. This one has overseen four hundred thousand. I'm Seth Liebson. There, the Hallmans will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Before we turn to Kazakhstan, Lewis wanted to make one more point, uh, which is an important one because, uh, as Emerson uh, as uh, Emerson put it, uh, the fall of man is preceded by the fall of language. Uh, Lewis, go right ahead. So the corporate press, uh, headed up by the Atlantic currently, are trying to, in real time, change the definition of endemic, which is to say that something is common or ubiquitous in the cases of diseases. They are trying to change that definition to say that COVID is not endemic because in order for COVID to be endemic, they say, it would not only have to be global and not going away, but everyone would also have to have had some form of immunity to it. This is an absurdity and only seeks to provide a platform and a moving of the goalposts whereupon more vaccine mandates and more stripping of one's civil liberties can follow. The other point I'd like to make very quickly is that the corporate press is now proclaiming this the deadliest pandemic in American history as of September this year. They say that more than 650,000 Americans have died, which is more than the 1918 flu pandemic. The trouble that they have is that the population of the United (laughs) States was less than a third of what it is now in 1918. The other trouble that they have is that the mean age of death in in 1918 from the flu was 28 years old compared to 75 for COVID. These are very, very different realities. And one of these things is not like the other. Just no matter how much they lie and pretend that it is. Yeah, a child raised on, on Sesame Street. Did, yeah. did, did you want to make a point, too, about vaccines and what was said about them? Well, in, in fact, for example, they the changed LA the Times. definition of yeah. the CDC so, website, too, uh, keeping, overnight, in the dark of night with no press release. Keeping in mind that the main point here that is now being made is that nobody ever claimed that the vaccine was perfect or that it was going to be a cure, except, except. Well, there's this. The various. You no longer need to wear a mask. Let me repeat. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. And then, Bill, yours? The various shots that people are getting now cover that. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. You're not going to get it. So here we are. The corporate press is now trying to change that theme and say he never said that. Nobody ever said that. We were. No, 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 no. Nobody ever said that. Look, please don't look behind the curtain. That's the kind of idiocy we're going on. In fact, I would then uh, in the next segment talk about the fact that it's the same corporate press with the response folks in the United States are having about it. We have a response folks in the United United States are having about it. We have a president who has undertaken things in a pattern from his predecessor when he was vice president. uh, Joe Biden was part of an administration that did things that caused our friends and allies around the world to shrug their shoulders and decide that the United States is a feckless ally. Mm -hmm. And we did it again. Mm -hmm. And those two things I'm talking about are Hillary Clinton hitting the reset button when she was secretary of state with Barack Obama and then allowing tanks from Russia to roll into Crimea and and bust up the place with no reaction from the United States. And then that was followed by the vice president becoming president and Joe Biden pulling out of Afghanistan, making a massive hash of it. And in doing so, failing to alert any of our allies in the region, Kazakhstan in particular, that that was going to happen. And what has not been reported by the corporate press in the United States is that very shortly thereafter, having made such a mess of it, 
Barack, uh, I'm sorry, not Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, Barack Obama's vice president, now as president, handed out tens of millions of dollars, somewhat more than $50 million to the countries in immediate of the region. Now, that's not a lot of money. But why did they give them $50 million? To try to secure their borders against terrorists coming out of Afghanistan. That Afghanistan was filled with terrorists. We abandoned the place. We had been keeping the fight there. And Lewis and I disagreed on the effectiveness of our flypaper strategy. But I still think it was a good one. And I disagreed with Donald Trump when he said we should get out of Afghanistan. Keeping the fight in Afghanistan kept those terrorists in Afghanistan entangled up for a good while. And now the United States pulls out of Afghanistan, doesn't alert any of our allies. All the Europeans went nuts about it. And nobody talked to the Kazakhs who were on that border. Nobody talked to the Uzbeks on that border. And yet this, the U.S. suddenly decided it better hand out some money to secure those borders. We can't secure our own borders against terrorists or talk about it. But we handed those countries tens of millions of dollars to try to stop the terrorists from coming into their countries. And after the break, I want to tell you what happened as a result. We created a problem in order to solve a problem under what Joe Biden called an extraordinary success. You'll tell us what kind of a success it is. Well, anyone who reads the New York Times and is concerned about Russia and Kazakhstan knows that it was an extraordinary failure. Oh, not, not if you read the New York Times. Anyone who reads without blinders on realizes it was an extraordinary failure. Reading the New York Times critically is not reading the New York Times, Seth. Fair enough. We'll be right back. I just love the lyrics to that song, Orchestrated Paradise Couldn't Make You Stay. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman has the floor. We're going to get a, a good lesson here on, on how we arrived at this point with Russia and what it will mean uh, going forward. Hugh, you were talking about the Afghan. Anyway, go ahead. So listeners have too often had to listen to me uh, pontificate and uh, sing my love songs about Kazakhstan. It is filled with people who are freedom-loving and are trying to build a society modeled on the United States. Like it or not, that's my cut. What's the basis on my doing that? I've been there for 29 years, founded a university, and have built uh, educational systems and worked in the country for a very long time. And, and across, advised lots of governments there, right? Across the yeah. board, these are people who absolutely love the concept of liberty and it is not fair, in my view, to compare a 30-year-old country – it celebrated its 30th anniversary on December 16th uh, of this last year – a 30-year-old country to the United States or to Great Britain. It has ways to go. Keep in mind, the United States at age 30 had the Alien Sedition Act. It had slavery. It had all kinds of protests going on put down with fairly uh, uh, stern hands by the United States. We were in wars with Great Britain, among other things. So I try to compare the United States uh, at that age to Kazakhstan currently. Keep in mind, it took France five shots at yeah. getting a stable democracy done since 1789. And it's not even clear to me that they still have done that. Germany, of course, has an even worse record because what they did during World War II is uh, outstrips most inhumane things done on the planet except uh, a few things that China – don't get into it, Lewis. I'm just making the quick point. So here we have a 30-year-old country that had been under— I want that trick. I want that Trump card. <laughs> been under the Soviet boot for nearly 100 years, 80 years. Uh, the, the Kazakh people 
uh, invited the Russians in in the 1700s uh, as the Chinese were uh, threatening their eastern border again. So here's a country, unlike the United States, that has moat and moat, as Lewis likes to talk, ocean moats and a fairly peace, peaceful north and south side. Uh, Kazakhstan is surrounded by China on the east, Russia on the north, and the crazy folks in the, in the south, and uh, uh, some uncertain folks even in the east or in the west. So here's a, here's a country in a very, very bad neighborhood trying to create liberty, and yet the United States is a feckless partner in that. Interestingly, George Herbert Walker Bush's senior officials negotiate with Kazakhstan the moment it independence starts in, in December of 1991 through early 1992, and Kazakhstan gives up its nuclear weapons under a treaty done under Bill Clinton. So we had in the old days a Republican president hand off to a Democratic president, and seamlessly they create a great result for international environment. Then comes Barack Obama pushing the reset button. Remember, these are the folks criticizing Donald Trump for being in bed with Vladimir Putin, and it was Hillary Clinton who she got in bed with him. physically brought a reset button to Putin. That's physically. correct. That's, That's right. correct. Yeah. And so now we've set the stage where Kazakhstan, relying on the United States for security, has Hillary Clinton hit the reset button and invite Vladimir Putin to start having conversations. Kazakhstan's leader at the time, their Sultan Nazarbayev, stayed in power, in my view, far too long. That said, he's trying to create the exit strategy for Kazakhstan out of the Soviet Union and keep it protected from China. And he's now triangulating the United States, Russia, and China. Does a fairly able job in a very difficult neighborhood. Not a perfect character by any stretch. By staying in power too long, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, in my view, that's what occurred. Nursultan Nazarbayev stayed too long. He still wanted to try to create a Washingtonian-like legacy, and in trying to get out of the country, appointed somebody, uh, Tokayev, President Tokayev, who he thought would be a better puppet than he was. Tokayev created his own strings, created some very good connections. And as a result, in this December, when uh, President Tokayev might have been told by uh, someone high up in his administration that it was time for him to leave, he chose not to. And yet, what had happened just a few months before? The United States made a hash of Afghanistan, repeating the 2009 lesson that we're a terrible ally. We failed to provide any information to our ally in Kazakhstan that we were going to exit uh, Afghanistan, and instead made such a hash of it that shortly thereafter, unreported in the United States except on this show, the United States provided the surrounding countries, Kazakhstan included, with $50 million to try to secure their borders. Against what? international Islamicist terrorists coming out of Afghanistan. And so now we have a situation where Tokayev is now under threat of a coup. We have some peaceful protests start. President Tokayev says, makes it clear, it's peaceful protests. In fact, he makes a plea to his people on January 5th. Uh, I appeal to you to show prudence and not to succumb to internal and external provocations. The euphoria of rallies and permissiveness is a problem. Calls to attack premises of civilian and military agencies are absolutely illegal. Please don't engage. They do not take any military action. And then the riots start in Almaty. What was going on in Almaty, their former capital, the home of almost four million people, about a quarter of the population, not quite? Thugs started attacking military posts, police posts, and the main uh, uh, administrative complexes. These are not people who are upset about rising prices in fuel. This was a very, very carefully orchestrated attack on real government services to try to create unrest 
and an international situation, and successfully ultimately did. Why? Because there was an effort at a coup taking place. President Takayev had made friends with Vladimir Putin more carefully than Nazarbayev had done, and Frank, frankly, in my view, a pact with the devil a little bit because now he invited Russia to come in through the uh, security agency that they have, the Collective Security Treaty Organization. First time this has ever happened. Very quickly, things calmed down. Many people who should not have been killed were killed in efforts to calm this down, both by police forces and by um, rioters, keeping in mind that dozens of police officers were murdered uh, hundreds were hospitalized. That story is not getting told in the West. But the important piece for the West to understand is to make fun of President Tokayev for making reference to the fact that they were under attack by some terrorists fails to acknowledge that, in fact, the United States government already admitted it, provided Kazakhstan with millions of dollars to try to secure their border against it, and we are now dealing with that as a failure of Afghanistan. What happened in Kazakhstan and their turning to Russia is entirely on the shoulders of President Biden. Let me have you make a concluding thought on that point. I have so many, and thank you for that. And, by the way, we're going to keep that one, Bill, for the archives and the record. I don't think you can got, you could have gotten a better explanation in eight minutes of what's going on there than you just got anywhere in the world. We'll be right back. Thank you, Hugh. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. If you want to know everything you need to know about Kazakhstan and missed the last segment, everything we do is available at 960thepatriot.com. It is the best summary I promise you you will get anywhere. Hugh, thank you for it, and take us out with further conclusion. I think the lessons we need to learn from what's happened in Kazakhstan are, first, the corporate press's failure to know about places like that and then report on them when it's important. Uh, is demonstrated by everything that came out of the major corporate press here. Uh, again, uh, belittling President Takayev for, number one, calling on Russia uh, after the United States demonstrated that it's a feckless ally in exiting Afghanistan and leaving a mess. The United States actually recognizing that and handing Kazakhstan millions of dollars to try to secure its border against terrorists and then having the New York Times report how foolish Tokayev is for talking about terrorists having entered the country. In fact, we know that's the case, and that's why we handed them tens of millions of dollars to try to make up for the fact that we've made such a hash in Afghanistan. My major point would be this. Kazakhstan is a nascent democracy trying to build uh, a, a place where freedom-loving people can continue to raise their families, enjoy wonderful lives, be productive. And we should not sit here in judgment, as they do in the New York Times, making fun of people who are at such heavy and important work. The work they are undertaking is the work that the founders of this country undertook, and we did not do it perfectly then. As you have noted, the compromise we have in the Constitution – created a, a sliver of difficulty and dissonance that ultimately led to our civil war. Our compromise with liberty and freedom led to the civil war in this United States 80 years after its founding. That Kazakhstan has survived for 30 years and created a great result is to me miraculous. I believe it is uh, rather Shakespearean. I do not belittle the fact that the rose bush has thorns. I'm grateful that the thorn bush has roses in the same way that I am eternally grateful that after 30 years, Kazakhstan is as stable as it is today, in contrast to people who want to make fun of the fact that it is not yet perfect. We seek excellence, not perfection. 
And in these United States, that's the best we can do, and we should continue to do it, ladies and gentlemen. We need to pursue excellence in all of ourselves and in our nation. And it is not wrong to recognize that we have faults, but it is wrong to fail to notice that we have made huge progress in humanity and are approaching excellence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 